welcome to this special season end episode number 14 of the Narrative Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gallett. I'm so glad that you found the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a joy and a labor of love to produce it over the last few months. I ideated about producing a podcast for a long time before finally deciding to go forward with it earlier this year. As a longtime marketer, I had so many preconceptions about podcasting. What that really means is that I didn't know a damn thing about them. Once again, I've been reminded that being a consumer of something is very, very different than being a producer of something. I listen to quite a few podcasts. Full disclosure, though, I don't listen to podcasts like mine. The ones I listen to are done by professional podcasters or radio personalities, people who are comfortable and expert in front of a microphone, with teams of producers, editors, and audio engineers behind them. They are people who've spent the time, or as Malcolm Gladwell describes it, the 10,000 hours needed to become an expert, finally honing their craft. I've logged 13 episodes to date, each one about an hour in length. So my on-air expertise of hosting a podcast is only 9,987 hours short of Gladwell's expert level. I probably don't have many more hours than that spent honing the craft of interviewing someone, with that expertise limited to ad hoc event moderation over a lot of years. I'm comfortable with a microphone, and most people who worked with me have seen that I have little reluctance to pick one up and publicly speak. I'm one of the small percentage of people who doesn't rate fear of public speaking as my number one phobia. But my episode 13 guest, Brian Kramer, prepared 300 hours to give a 17-minute TED Talk. Um, and, um, and I had Juliet Blake, who's an amazing um, speaker coach. She was the president of the Muppets um, uh, uh, organization and she did uh movies with oprah and she was so she was intimidating because she was also british and and she was intimidating um and she put me through hell to get to be up on stage and do what i did for 17 minutes and study for 300 hours to do that and and she put me through this whole ted thing and and the day before i i stood up in front of like 12 or 14 people i knew that thing backwards forwards middle to end word for word and i'm not a script person i'm a heart person yeah i can i can stand up a speech like you and we're we just speak right yeah. like from here because we just know like the message and the yeah but this was this was scripted and so um and i and i i lost it i i too much pressure and i i just i and tears started coming down my face. Maybe I should have that fear of public speaking. I'd probably say less stupid shit at times. Maybe I just need 300 hours of preparation, as miserable as Brian made it sound. While I don't have a speaking phobia, I do have a serious quality phobia. I'm a perfectionist. In my career, I've been lucky enough to surround myself with really good people who drove home that quality of production really matters. But for this podcast, I'm doing it solo. I'm not making any money from it or monetizing it, as the kids say. So I decided to do it all myself. Guest acquisition, research, technology, production, editing, and distribution. And for each of these areas, I have even less expertise than I do in podcast hosting and interviewing. But as I discussed in episode 12 with my good friend Jeff Smith, the founder of social singing app Smule, the world has changed. One of our first marketing videos that we built for a piano product 
about one of my colleagues, Michael Berger, who did it at Stanford. He didn't know anything about shooting videos. He didn't even know anything about ads. We have a tripod set up. It's got a horrible angle onto the iPad. Michael Berger's hands look like they're these stubby Beethoven-like fingers. It's not, he's not a hand model. Um, the lighting wasn't optimal. And, but he starts playing. He's awesome. We realized in hindsight that it was a little blurry. And then unfortunately, one of our other colleagues managed to kick the tripod midway through the filming. So you have this massive jitter right in the middle of the ad. And yet, for the next two and a half years, this was the number one performing ad in all of mobile advertising. And it's partly because the people trusted it was real. Yeah. And it was partly because we showed them also that it was accessible. It was something that they could do as well. Nothing's perfect in this world. In fact, perfect's kind of boring. Yeah. When, you, when you study music back in the days before the recording, people made mistakes all of the time. If they didn't make mistakes in a recital, then something was wrong because of course you're warming up, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, and then if, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying some of those things at the last moment that you should be trying and you're not gonna get them all right. And that was the accepted standard. Quality of content is more important than quality of production. The TikToking, Snapchatting, and smuling of the world has made less than perfect kind of perfect. The overused word of 2021 might be authentic, but it's only overused if you're faking it. I'm trying hard not to fake this. My production values are just okay, but I'm always striving to get better. But I've also learned to be okay with just being okay. That was a huge barrier to even getting started, as I couldn't see myself putting an inferior product out under my own name. So I waited and waited and waited. When I finally pushed send on episode one, it was a great moment of relief. Going in, I wanted to move topics out of my head and into the world at large. As some of you know, I have my own blog at jeffgallett.com. I started it and wrote fairly frequently for a couple of years. Then I simply lost my mojo. The blog has been silent for a long time now, partly because it became content that was interesting to me but I didn't think made much difference for anybody else. It was fulfilling to get things off my chest, but that fulfillment was tempered when I stepped back and realized the stories and writings were things I was interested in, not reflective of presenting content that others might be interested in. This podcast is trying to be different very purposely. If you listen to the original trailer, I said the following. I've spent a long time as a technology marketing executive with more than 20 years as a chief marketing officer in the software industry. During that time, the power of stories became more obvious to me. The ability to tell stories, both personally and professionally, has become a strength of mine and also a fascination. But as interesting as I find the stories, I find the storytellers themselves even more fascinating. Hearing people describe what they do and why they do it. In some cases, the unique ways that they do it. So the idea behind this podcast is to meet people who are great storytellers and to get to know them. Because their own personal backstories are also quite interesting. But sometimes what you want and what you get are different. As Nick Nespajani of Yacht Rock Review described in episode 10, when he talked about ending up in a cover band, albeit a wildly successful one. 
like, how did you get there? Like, what, how did this happen? Like, I know you guys were all studio musicians and you had these goals and dreams, but help my listeners understand, like, how did you go from being the guy that listened to Soundgarden into the guy that's now performing as the front man of a, of a yacht rock band? By pure accident, and it was definitely kicking and screaming at first. It was not my <laughs> choice of what I wanted to do. We were doing every Thursday night at this club in Atlanta called the Ten High, the basement down there below the Dark Horse Tavern in Virginia Highlands. And they gave us, they said, you can do anything you want, just every Thursday. You know, it was just a pretty cool thing, you know, pretty unprecedented, especially a good night like Thursday. So we were doing our original band, Y.O.U., we were doing Nights of All Soul music with the horn section. We were doing, you know, Tom Petty versus Bob Seger. We were, we were doing comedy nights. We were just trying everything. And then one night we did um, what we were going to call 70s AM Gold. And then about a month and a half, you know, and it took some rehearsing to figure all this stuff out the first time. And we put together these these this band of musicians that we knew who were just all killer players and um, a couple months, month and a half before the show, we found this video series online called Yacht Rock. And it was the uh, comedic misadventures of Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald and Christopher Cross. And we said, you know, this is perfect. Let's call it Yacht Rock. And the, the first show sold out. And then the next show sold out. And next thing you know, we're doing it every Thursday. And it just kind of snowballed. From there, I think a lot of tribute bands or cover bands, the guys get together and they're like, okay, we want to make some money. Let's form a tribute band. And, you know, they, their whole vector is, is determined by that idea of forming a band and making money. Whereas we did it on accident. As I reflect back on the first 13 episodes of the narrative, what I am now calling season one. I think I've accomplished much of what I set out to. I talked to 13 very different guests. Five of those are CEOs. A couple of those run agencies or smaller businesses, but a couple of them run big companies, even a publicly traded one. One of them, Stephanie Stuckey from Episode 7, discussed with me Revitalizing Stuckey's, a storied American brand that echoes back decades. That's what I wanted to pivot to. So, you know, you, your background is not retail, it's not marketing. You mentioned the word authentic before. And so in the time since we connected and I've been following your posts and, and Stucky's posts on LinkedIn, and I think you post pretty much every day. It's really- I post every day. So yeah. It's interesting to me because there's an awful lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and people who stick C-level titles on their, on their names. And I'm a C-level executive, but- you're very authentic in your posts. And I think that really, really, it strikes me that that part of the story, there is the authenticity. Like you don't go into these things and pretend, at least from what I've read, that you're the world's foremost expert on retailing or roadside stores or candy making. You're, it sounds, seems to me like you're learning as you go in a lot of these cases. And it's really cool to follow that because I get the sense of this is just, it's something so important to you. This company is so important to you that separate, I'm sure there's the whole business objective of wanting to make money with it and revitalize the brand, but it's so personal because it's your family. And as I read that, I see this authenticity coming out. And I think it's it's interesting to me because you're not saying I am bringing my vast experience in X, Y, and Z to fixing this. It's sort of you're going in and going, I just want to fix this and I'm going to figure out how to fix it as I go. Thank you for that. Yes. Yeah, so I think... 
the key to being authentic is being vulnerable. You, you can't have that honesty unless you are willing to tell the whole story. And it's fine if you just want to pull select pieces and that's what you want to present, but that's not being honest and real. So if what you're going for is being authentic, you have to put it all out there. And storytelling does give you the gift of weaving that truth in a way that presents the story you want it told, but you've still got to get out there and say, these are my vulnerabilities. And I actually did a post the other day that got tremendous engagement. And I really judge more the comments and the dialogue that's fostered than mm-hmm. just someone hitting a like button. Although I welcome a like button. And I also like to see how many times it shows up in feeds. Those are all good metrics to look at. But for me, it's that conversation starter that I'm really pushing for. And I posted about my failure one day. I think too often in LinkedIn and social media, we just want to put out, oh, I am cutting a ribbon at this new store, or I got a promotion, or we won this award, blah, blah, blah. All great stuff. I posted too. I love it when I get an award. I don't get enough. I'll post them when I do. And I'm Super excited to do that. But there's lots of days that kind of suck. Another, episode 12's Jeff Smith of Smule, started founding companies almost right out of college and was trying to do anything to escape technology when his entrepreneurship and technology chops collided with his renewed passion for music. Real through your work and your uh, with your PhD and with people you were working with there, right? I mean, it became obvious that this was an interesting thing. And one of the things I was going to ask is, you know, what, what came first there? I mean, I think that when I look at it naively, I look and go, well, you couldn't have really done it without the platform, i.e. the iPhone. But what came first, the idea or the phone? Like, was there the idea to that we could do this, but we don't have a platform for it? Or was it that, look, there's a new platform, we could do this? It's a great question. Uh, so first off, I went back to school, not looking to create another company. I went back to school running and hiding from technology, trying to find some sanctuary in the middle of the Bay Area. And my family was going to stay in the Bay Area. I tried to eject. They weren't going for it. (laughs) So Stanford seemed like the safest place to hide. Joe Megabo, the CEO of Purple, talked in episode one about his journey from analytics and technology guy to world-class mattress salesman. Am I remembering that accurately yeah. or somewhat accurately? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much how it went down. This was a business school buddy of mine who had taken over as the president of hotels.com. And uh, yeah, this is what friends do. He, <laughs> uh, he was hitting me up and, and other people in his network for guidance, for advice, for what do you think about this? And uh, they were a customer of ours. So, I mean, it, it wasn't just a uh, out of left field call. Um, and yeah, I, I was talking a lot about unrealized potential, something else I'm very passionate about and uh, what was possible and the data's there. You just got to take it and, and act on it. I mean, you know, who cares about data and insights if they don't result in change or action? Yeah. 
And uh, he, uh, you know, I call it double dog dared me too, <laughs> to say, you know, hey, uh, you know, you seem to know what you're talking about here. Can you actually, you know, back to that action point, can you actually do it? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that that's where the imposter syndrome kicks in and you go home and you're like, oh, Oh crap! What if I'm wrong? You know, <laughs> maybe I found the only three examples of this that ever existed. Yeah, yeah. it's it's, uh, it's, uh, it's it is a lot harder to do than to say. And uh, but uh, we went through a negotiation. I said, if you if you really want to do this right, here's how to do it right. Are you going to set me up to do it right? And he, you know, it, it's sort of the uh, the classic, uh, you know, and I want a pony kind of <laughs> negotiation. And uh, when I was done, it was sort of a, do you want to stable with that pony? And I said, seriously? And that was it. I'm like, okay, let's go do this. But I also want to expose you to stories and storytellers you might not get exposed to otherwise. From episode six is Sam Mitchell, a teenager living his best life and thriving despite being autistic. If you asked me when I was 18 what my long term was, and if I look back now, I would say that I had no idea I would end up doing what I ended up doing. But is there anything that you've put in place that you think of, you know, where do you want to be down the road? Anywhere, pretty. I'm pretty laid back. As long as I'm making money, I'm real, and I'm, I'm living the life that I choose, and it's not a trailer park trash life, I guess, then I'm, <laughs> and I'm living good. Well, I mean, he's, he's always wanted to be successful. You know, we've, we've always told him and helped him understand that however you, however you can get there, whatever we need to do to get you to, even if it's success can mean a million different things. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can go, you know, like in schools, they, they tell kids, go to college, go to college, go to college. And that really irritates no. me. Let's go, let's see about the workforce for a minute here. Or the workforce yeah. or, or pick a trade. I mean, and like trades aren't yeah. pushed as much in schools. And, and so that's what we have always said to him is just, you got to be successful. You got to, you got to be able to support yourself. And yeah, you know, I know a friend, he's, he's, he's not going to college. He's a shame. He's going to be, I think he wants to be an electrician. Well, he'll go to a trade school. Yeah, but you see, he, yeah, he's not going to college. Not a four-year He's going to trade school. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting. I had a conversation earlier today with an old friend of mine, and the business that I was in was technology marketing. And so we were talking about companies all talk about doing digital transformations. So they're mm-hmm. moving to being totally digital. Mm-hmm. And people fail at it all the time. And her comment was, it's her business too. And her comment was, you don't really ever fail at it. She goes, you know, like, even if you do 10%, if the project is designed to be 100% and you only do 10% of it, you're still theoretically 10% better than you were before. And it's sort Absolutely. of that idea about, about, about success. You know, what does success mean? You know, like, you know, not everybody's going to be Warren Buffett. Okay, so it's fine. And, I, and maybe, you know, God bless, maybe you are Warren Buffett down the road, but you might not be. And something less than that doesn't mean you're a failure. And it, it's just, I think that's it was a really interesting perspective. I met Gail Filter for episode 11, a passionate advocate for the homeless, who's quite literally doing the hard work of making their plight more visible. Well, I mean, I've been doing it for five years. I've been working with the homeless five years. And again, I, um, as I got into it, I became more and more interested in the injustices that occur among the poverty stricken folks in this country. And, and it's a much bigger number, I think, than most people realize. You know, in California, just to give you an example, 
25% of all of the homeless in the United States live in California, 25%. 50% of all the homeless unsheltered in the United States live in California. So it's not unusual, at least in Sacramento and other large California cities, and, and this is true elsewhere in the United States as well, to see people sleeping on the streets in the doorways and, and uh, here in Sacramento, along the, the American and Sacramento rivers, there, there's what is known as tent cities. And, and we identify these homeless people as being a problem. And it seemed to me that, look, you know, the problem, how did it, how did it arise? You know, what, what caused this humongous problem to arise that today in California, it's been identified by the governor and the legislature as a crisis, okay? And when I, when I was working in Sacramento, there's a lot to be said that I've seen people walk around the homeless, ignore the homeless. It, it, they don't want anything to do with the homeless. And yet, the homeless are there as a result that we have ignored them. Don't forget, I mean, California, depending on whose stats you, you, you look at, is the sixth to seventh largest economy in the world, mm-hmm. in the world. And the question I have is, how did you ever get to this place to begin with, where most of the homeless issue problem is really done by nonprofit organizations? So when I started out and, and I became interested in this, it seemed to me one of the first things that needed to be done was through through photography, which obviously I have a great interest in, is to, to show that the people that are homeless are really humans. These are people from varied walks of life who all embrace storytelling as a key part of their ethos. I've learned so much from all of them, even the ones I already knew very well. To that end, most of the guests have been friends or business colleagues of mine. A couple I met for the first time when we recorded our episode, like Sam Mitchell, like Stephanie Stuckey, like Brian Finney. I've enjoyed reconnecting with the others, but I've really enjoyed meeting these new folks for the first time, hearing their stories at the same time you do, stretching my skills because I'm not as familiar with them. This is where my lack of expertise on air is most apparent, I think. But the stretch has been good for me. I'm hoping to continue that mix of people I know and people I meet going forward. If you know of any great storytellers, please send them my way. I'm always looking to expand the guest list, and guest acquisition is hard and it's time-consuming. Reviews are hard to come by. Listeners are too. You know what? One of the things I've learned, podcasting is hard, but it's been worthwhile too. Sometimes part of the labor of love is trying to figure out if the work is even resonating. The numbers are growing, And even though those written reviews are hard to come by, I have received some, and I've also received a lot of feedback directly, all of which has been positive. And since we live in a world where it's much more common to share the negative than the positive, I'll declare a small victory there. Here are a few of the comments I've received since the narrative debuted in April of 2021. I just wanted to say the podcast was great. Really loved how you let Nick talk. Just asking prompting questions, but letting the conversation flow naturally. This is the kind of content I look for when I tune into a podcast. It's a bit of a dance that puts the listener in the middle. I can't wait for more. 
Amazing podcast. You refer to Nick as a storyteller, which he certainly is, but you're a great one as well. People can say something that has impact, but often it isn't impactful at all. But package the message in the form of a story, and you really get to the heart of the recipient. The narrative is a growing library of fantastic examples of people who do this really well, interviewed by someone who knows how to give the guests the space to weave their tales. And finally, pretty sure at this point, the three and out feature is a way for Jeff to get new shows to watch and new music to listen to. Regardless, the podcast is fantastic, which is a good pivot because as season one comes to a conclusion, I want to share back with anybody new or anybody who has yet to listen to all the published episodes to date, what I am now calling my extraordinary playlist. Here are the consolidated recommendations from all 13 guests who've appeared on the show in season one. On episode one, my good friend, Joe Megabo, the CEO of Purple, by the way, the maker of the most comfortable mattress I've ever owned, shared that Elad Gill's book, High Growth Handbook, has been an invaluable read for him. Joe, whose family is filled with musicians and music teachers, loves Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes, as do I. Peter is one of my all-time favorites. Lastly, Joe really recommends the Bee Gees documentary, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, which is on HBO and HBO Max. My episode two guest, social media pioneer and thought leader Katie Howell, recommended a very interesting book called Brandsplaining, which addresses the sexism of advertising. Katie's favorite TV show is the old Star Trek Discovery, and she loves to sing along with Dolly Parton. Episode three featured my friend and former colleague David Fishman, as we reconnected after he suffered a debilitating stroke. David loves Bruce Springsteen because of his genius as a storyteller right in the sweet spot of this podcast. And Bruce is one of my favorites too. David listens regularly to the Ezra Klein Show podcast and recommends Marvel's Agent Carter as a bingeable TV show that's slightly off the radar. World-class magician and comedian Peter Wardell joined for episode four. And while he shared that he isn't a huge listener of music, everybody's free to wear sunscreen by Boz Lerman always makes him smile. Peter recently reread Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert Persig, revisiting it after 40 years of life, and he really recommends watching fellow magician Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself, available on Hulu. My friend Austin Ward of On3Sports Letterman Row, the top reporter covering my beloved Ohio State Buckeyes football and basketball teams, joined me for episode five. Austin recommended watching WandaVision and really the whole Marvel Universe listening to the Randy Rogers Band, and reading Red Dirt Roots by Josh Crutchmer about the gritty country-tinged music scene born in Oklahoma that Randy Rogers is part of. On episode six, I was joined by my youngest guest, 18-year-old Sam Mitchell. Sam is autistic, and he's also a podcaster. His podcast, Autism Rocks and Rolls, is an absolute recommendation. His favorite shows are, as he says, dumb comedy, like Jackass and Impractical Jokers, and he loves old rock music from Elvis to ACDC. Episode 7, Stephanie Stuckey, the CEO revitalizing her grandfather's storied brand of roadside oasis stores, recommended The Food That Built America, a documentary series from the History Channel that's also available on Hulu. Stephanie loves the How I Built This podcast, and she's a lover of 80s and 90s classic rock. The music from her Georgia roots, like R.E.M. and the B-52s, Staples from Athens, Georgia, where she went to school at UGA. 
Customer experience maven Megan Burns joined me for episode eight. Megan is a proud New Englander, so she surprised me with her love of country music, and she recommended Luke Bryan's I Believe Most People Are Good as a very favorite listen. Since I'm not a full country fan, my prior exposure to Luke Bryan was a hilarious sketch with Jimmy Fallon as he tried to order a euro in New York. Or was it a gyro? A euro? Who knows? Megan recommended a deep book on social change called How Change Happens by Leslie Crutchfield and a documentary from PBS called Mysteries of Mental Illness. Brian Finney joined me for episode nine. Brian is an author and a literature professor, and he recommended The French Village, a French-produced series on Amazon Prime about the resistance in World War II. He loved the book Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens, called it an amazing read. And his favorite musical artist is Taylor Swift, which surprised me as Brian is in his 80s. Nick Nespajani, frontman of Rock Review, was my guest on episode 10. Nick's musical recommendations, which carry some weight with me, are Tame Impala and Tyler the Creator. He also recommended the book The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon as a great read, especially for anyone in the creative fields. And he really liked Love Island on HBO and HBO Max. Gail Filter joined me for episode 11, and he recommended The Power Broker by Robert Caro, an exploration of the life of Robert Moses, one of the most influential and powerful people this country has ever had that most people are completely unaware of, and he still thinks Breaking Bad is the best TV show ever. Jeff Smith joined me for episode 12 and shared the journey of starting and selling companies, going back to school to get a PhD in music, and to hide from technology and ultimately starting an app that is one of the biggest selling in iPhone history. Jeff, as expected, had recommendations as eclectic as rereading Jane Austen and listening to Brahms, specifically Opus 76. Lastly, episode 13 had author, speaker, and executive coach Brian Kramer, who recommends watching a Spanish series on Netflix called Money Heist. He also recommended the book Renegade Marketing, 12 Steps to Building Unbeatable B2B Brands by Drew Neiser, and had a great recommendation to subscribe to Spotify's Discover Weekly playlist as a way to find new music easily that's curated from around the globe. So there you have it. That should be enough content to get you through the next few weeks as the narrative takes a hiatus for the holidays. I'll be back with new guests and topics and even new three and out questions for season two early in 2022. If you haven't yet, you can follow or subscribe to the podcast now And when season two starts, it'll automatically drop into your feed. I do appreciate your support. I do appreciate your listens. And I do appreciate your feedback so far. And I'm excited for what's to come. Please stay safe. Please stay healthy. And have a great end to 2021. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Narrative. Your feedback is always welcomed, as are your shares and, of course, your reviews. Please subscribe and review The Narrative on your podcast platform of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts.